I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. And what is more real than some ghost stories? Nothing. Nothing. That's right. We're going to talk about three of them today. Um, Yay! yay. (laughs) Honeysuckle Cottage by P.G. Woodhouse. And How Fear Departed the Long Gallery, best title ever. (laughs) <laughs> by E.F. Benson. Yes. And then Dark Benediction by Walter M. Miller. Famous for um, a canticle for Leibowitz. Yes. Yeah. I don't love that story as much as I could. I like the short story of that, but not the novel. But this story, I love. I do agree with you on that. Yeah, the oh. short story is better. <laughs> I like when we agree, which is so often. No wonder I like talking to you. It's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. So, wow. So, you, you've you picked these three. And what, yeah. uh, what made you pick them? Okay. So, these are three. Well, two of them are, I think, atypical because they're, they've got a lot of humor in them. Woodhouse is always going to be funny. And um, E.F. Benson can be funny or can be super scary. And I think this story is kind of a nice transition. It does both. And then Dark Benediction, I read it and was like, I have never read such a Catholic horror story. Mm-hmm. And it's not a ghost story, but it's, I'd say, a horror story. Yeah. And I was so struck by the the truths it contained about us and our world and how we adapt to change or don't. And especially in moments when life is really scary because we don't know what's going to happen. And so they kind of just go from, I don't know, lighter to darker. And I think they're all atypical. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I shoved honeysuckle cottage in there just because (laughs) I love it so much. I felt like anybody who listens to this should try to find a copy and read it. It's that just is so fun. fun. Yeah. When when you you said yeah, let's do this one too, and I said okay, and I I had it in a the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, which just made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's in the December, uh, 1958 edition. That is amazing. Isn't that funny? And I guess yeah. it came out in the Saturday Evening Post, and that is great. and the this magazine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I read it in a collection of stories called The World of Mr. Mulliner. Mm. Mr. Mulliner is a lesser known character in P.G. Woodhouse's incredibly prolific output. But he was always used to be one of those guys, like, you know, tall tales and taverns sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so he's always in a place where golfers are coming to have a drink or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever. I love, I love those their, stories, yeah. I know. They're just so much fun. I just It's a whole category that I just love. Yeah, right. And in this, Honeysuckle Cottage was taken and kind of repurposed so that Mr. Mulliner is at the beginning of it telling a story about his nephew. Because the stories are always about his nephews. <laughs> He's got a million of them. And they're quite funny. So, if you come across any Mr. Mulliner stories, do give them a try. And this Definitely. one... To fit it in and get it in the collection, he'd repurposed it that oh, way. That's cool. That's nice. Yeah. That's so, nice. Shall we start by talking about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Let's do. 
It's the yeah. lightest, but yeah, I still very... managed to find a bit of <laughs> something in it. Oh man, it is, and it is funny. My gosh. Yeah. Um, do you believe in ghosts? Asked Mr. Mulliner abruptly. That's the first line. <laughs> I love it. Well, and it's um, it's one of those stories where I've seen that some very famous writers called it the funniest story ever written. Oh, wow. And certainly the funniest ghost story ever written. Yeah, definitely. And it's just he's working his magic. And so, so Mr. Mulliner... Actually, this isn't a nephew. It's a distant cousin. He's telling the story about named James Rodman. Now, James Rodman was a writer of hard-boiled detective novels. The hero, or anti-hero, depending, has a gat in one hand and no girl in the other. He's not going to have women coming in and messing stuff up. Oh, that it. would soften the story up. Mm-hmm. But his aunt is Leila J. Pinckney. Yes. And she writes super squashily sentimental, he calls it, <laughs> uh, yeah, romance stories. Squashily sentimental. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's capitalized squashily that's sentimental. Right. That's a genre. <laughs> and uh, so she writes these stories and turns out two a year and she's got all these fans and everything. And she always does them from a little place named Honeysuckle Cottage. She dies. He inherits... If he lives in the cottage, he gets a nice little bit of money every mm. year. Yep. And he says, well, why not? I can write out there just as well as anywhere else. And he gets to the cottage, and it really is funny because to me, it's the absolute opposite of the haunting of Hill House. And yeah, but it's the absolute mm-hmm. same as the haunting of Hill House. And mm-hmm. we'll put the link to that episode because we talked about Perfect. that. you bet. In this, uh, so if you want a super scary book that's nothing funny about it, go listen to that or read that book and listen to that episode. But the whole point is that the house itself is what is doing the haunting. There is no ghost. It's so, <laughs> Honeysuckle Cottage is so imbued with romance that anybody who enters becomes overtaken by this desire to have everything go like a romance story. That's right. And he first finds this when he's writing one of his novels, and suddenly a sweet young girl <laughs> winds up coming into the story and mm-hmm. changing everything. And he's having to do things like rewrite pages 10 times. Oh, I and, love it. Um, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when he asks for help, everybody he asks is incredulous and thinks it's ridiculous. And then they come into the house, and pretty soon they're talking the same way. Yeah. And then pretty soon he's in one of those stories. Yes. He's not only writing, I mean, the house is like making him write a certain way, but then he ends up actually living in one. <laughs> yes. That was pretty good stuff. A, girl's, a girl twists her ankle or something mm-hmm. or gets hit by a car. I don't know what happens. She's mildly <laughs> wounded, it seems to me. But the yeah. doctor says, oh, well, she certainly must stay here for a couple of weeks. And so mm-hmm. suddenly everything slides into that inevitable story that we all know. Oh, too good. And he yeah. finds himself doing things like showing up outside her bedroom door going, oh, my gosh, how did I get this bouquet of freshly picked flowers with the dew still on them? And he goes and throws them out the window, <laughs> you know, and um, the housekeeper's going around going, oh, you sweet young things. Anyone can see you're so in love. And he's like, what? No, but he starts to have warm feelings. Um so whenever he leaves the house, he comes back to himself. Right, right. And so it's that's that's just, just great. Yeah, and there's dogs in it. <laughs> there is a dog in it. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but and the dog mm-hmm. saves the day. That's right. The dog saved the day. Thank goodness for the dog. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had a bit of um, the story that I wanted to read to show kind of how it happens. Mm-hmm. So after the doctor has come and seen the girl who's been injured, he, he says, the doctor sighed. He was a stolid-looking man of middle age with side whiskers. A beautiful girl, that, Rodman, he said. I suppose so, said James. A sweet, beautiful girl. An elfin child. A what? cried James, starting. This imagery was very foreign to Dr. Brady as he knew him. On the only previous occasion on which they had had any extended conversation, the doctor had talked exclusively about the effect of too much protein on the gastric juices. An elfin child, a tender fairy creature. When I was looking at her just now, Rodman, I nearly broke down. Her little hand lay on the coverlet like some white lily floating on the surface of a still pool, and her dear trusting eyes gazed up at me. He pottered off down the garden, still babbling, and James stood staring after him blankly. And slowly, like some cloud athwart a summer sky, there crept over James's heart the chill shadow of a nameless fear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, the best. Too good, too good. <laughs> yeah, it's just so perfectly written because it's the extreme soppy romance stuff at the same time as you're combining this nameless fear that no one can escape. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so I was really surprised when I found myself thinking about The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. But of course, in The Haunting of Hill House, it's a progression to, of, you know, from being aware of something to being possessed. Right. So they yeah. completely lose their free will to act as they would normally act. They're acting under the compulsion of this house's bidding, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The spirit of romance, I guess you call it. And it's only funny because being caught in a romance novel is absurd. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, but it is It is very similar, isn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he's being possessed by the spirit of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's the horror also of being the only one who sees what's going on and no one will believe you. <laughs> And of course, no one will believe you, not because, you know, people are dying or, mm. you know, cars are going over cliffs or whatever's happening. Mm. No, it's because well, soon you'll be getting married, won't you? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Yeah. That's too funny. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, there's but not it's much just, more to it than that, but it is just so hilarious, you know. And yeah. These dogs. I noticed that the dog was named Toto. Oh, when when was uh, Wizard, oh, of Wizard of Oz written? Yeah. And I think this was 1925. Yeah, this was maybe. 1925, which means yeah, that the, my fantasy and science fiction is definitely a reprint. Okay. I thought they were in similar time, but they were not. Okay. This is like 20, 35 years later almost. But yeah, I don't know when uh, Wizard of Oz was written. L. Frank Baum. Oh yeah, so he died in 1919. So it was it was before okay. this. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. I don't think that name was ever a dog name until mm-hmm. then. I mean, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But yeah, and now yeah. that is the dog name, right? Yeah, so but, then he's in, um, <laughs> that's very good, Scott. Yeah. So he's in, um, you know, 
Oz. Right. He's somewhere. It's Wonderland. Somewhere not real. Is, right. Yeah. Somewhere not Oh, my gosh. You genius. <laughs> Oh jeez! <laughs> but I love I love that the dog that saved the day his name is William. Yeah, he is a solid mutt. <laughs> There's no messing around with this dog. That is like the perfect thing, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's only William who's going to save the day, and mm-hmm. um, William and James are the the two who managed to escape. Mm-hmm. But we'll let you. Read the story for yourselves because it yeah. is just so. It is funny. just so fun, and and yeah. you found it where again? So this so one is mine, harder to find. Yeah, mine was in a collection called "The World of Mister Mulliner," and actually, okay. my library had it, but I found it on Amazon. Right, and, and that's a Woodhouse collection of his yeah. stories. Yeah. So I was reading Joseph from Zombie Parents Guide, who is he? He I just love reading his reviews because he's always reading them ahead of us, mm-hmm. and I just like. I love that. So he was saying, I think he found it for 99 cents on the Kindle. Oh, very good. Okay. You know, part of a collection, maybe. Uh-huh. Great. But Great. yeah. 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 Anyway. Well worth, well worth reading. You know, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm learning to love Woodhouse. I've, I've oh, only read a read few a and I, I've got, I, I bought a stack of paperbacks and they're just oh. great fun. So, oh. yeah. Now, so are you reading the Birdie? And uh, the Worcester and Jeeves ones. Yeah, there's or? some. There's some Worcester and Jeeves in there. Um, I'm trying to think Blandings of the Castle. the Blandings one is the one that I'm going through. Those right are my now. favorites. Are um, they cool? I love, yeah. love Bertie and Jeeves yeah. too. But A Crime Wave at Blandings was the yes. first one I read. So oh gosh, yeah, yeah, too fun. Yeah, love it. Lord, yeah, Lord Emsworth and the mm-hmm. uh, is it the Duchess? Is that the name of the no the Empress? Mm-hmm. That's Whatever right. her name is. You bet. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Well, cool. But so yeah, so E.F. Benson yeah. um, wrote a story about. I, I highlighted this phrase: an ill will windlessness that blows no good. <laughs> 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 he, he was talking really about the weather and the people that were hanging out in this house uh, with that yeah. phrase. I love that phrase. And E.F. Benson, I will say, he wrote such a diverse uh, set of ghost stories. He's really famous for the Map and Lucia stories, and that's about two middle-aged women who are battling for dominance of the social set in their little village. Mm -hmm. And they're so viciously clever. They're just hilarious. And I read them long, long ago. And then I found that he'd written some ghost stories, and started exploring and there is a collection available either in paperback or on the Kindle and both are inexpensive called night terrors, the Mm. ghost stories of EF Benson. And he's his most famous story, which nobody remembers. They just remember the phrase is called the bus conductor. Mm. And that's where the famous phrase got into our culture of there's room for one more. Oh man. See, that's just chilling. You just saying that. There's room for one more. And the way the story is told is much more chilling than most of the folk tales you hear of it or the uses you see. He really crafts his stories well. Mm. And uh, most of them are very scary, but he couches some as that kind of story. He Some are as folk tales. Some are people encountering the pagan gods of the woods. I mean, there's vampires. There's everything. Mm. Wow. This one I enjoy because, as I said before, it's got a significant amount of humor that then suddenly slides into real terror. 
And then mm. I think it slides into something human, very, mm. um, yeah. very true. Mm-hmm. And he is not at all a religious man from what I've read, but to me this touched on a universal truth, I think. Yeah, it's it's certainly, you know, I know nothing about E.F. Benson, but it kind of felt like maybe he was religious, you know, with uh, some oh, of this stuff. But I, I don't know. This is my only sampling of E.F. Benson. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, some of the... Um, the reactions of this this character, but I guess we better say what the thing's about. Um. Okay, so so there's a house that has so many ghosts. Yes, and another specters, house, right? Those visible and audible, he says, <laughs> that none of the family which it shelters under its acre and a half of green copper roofs takes physical phenomena with any seriousness. To the Peverells, the appearance of a ghost is a matter of hardly any greater significance than the appearance of the post to those who live in more ordinary houses. It arrives, that is to say, practically every day it knocks or makes other noises. It is observed coming up the drive or in other places. And then he recounts this conversation between family members at breakfast where they're like, oh, did I see you talking to the blue lady Mm -hmm. in the shrubbery? You know, oh, I hope she doesn't frighten Flo. You know, and this person's (laughs) like, and that's their dog. (laughs) <laughs> and says, yeah, for dogs. oh, no. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so poor blue Aunt Barbara is such a bore. And then they're busy talking about all the ghosts they've seen and the, you know, whatever's going on with them. And um, then it says, there's just one ghost that they're terrified of. And that's the one in the long gallery. Mm-hmm. And then they tell, then there's this horrific story that I won't recount here <laughs> of how it's it's two ghosts, little twin toddlers, and it's a horrible story of how these little twin toddler ghosts came to be ghosts, and of one story that they tell, of the kind of thing that happens when you see the ghost and scream and run, and um, like somebody was all covered over with gray moss or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's just awful. I mean, really horrible. The it way really is, yeah. Described. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's interesting, you know. So at the beginning of the story, it evokes to me kind of a Disney haunted mansion kind of a feel mm-hmm. to it, where you know these ghosts are around, but you like them, you know, and it's kind of fun to have them around. And then yeah. they tell this story, and now it's like it's really horrifying, you know, uh, like what you're saying. It's really an intense thing. Yeah. And then she's- yeah. She's a, a beautiful woman who mm-hmm. this has happened to. And, and then the next day, she's got a little grayish bit of skin. Yeah. And nothing will make it go away. And at the end of like a week or two, she's totally covered with it. There's lichen growing. There's tendrils of stuff. I mean, it's just mm. horrible. Yeah. And then there's, there's like, well, we won't even talk about what happened to old Colonel so-and-so. <laughs> that was too horrible to mention. I'm like, worse than this? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. So it suddenly takes a really dark turn. Yeah, so you want to stay out of that long gallery, for sure. At night. You can right. be there during the day. Mm-hmm. And then there's a woman who had hurt her ankle, and everybody else was out skating. And so she's just going to be in there and read for a while. And then she's fallen asleep, mm. and it's dark when she wakes yes. up. Mm. And she can't find her way out of the room. And the fire has dropped down. And she sees a point of light, and she realizes it's the ghosts. 
Yeah. And she's horrified. Yes, there's a true moment of horror because she'd already had a horrible nightmare based on the previous ghost story that we've told of, or, you know, of what happened to that young woman. Mm -hmm. And it was a pretty horrible nightmare, too. And then she's just, she she can't get out. Every time she tries to find her way out, she finds her way back to the couch she was on. So I'm going to, now we're going to spoil the story. So you could skip ahead a few minutes if you want, or just go away and read it and come back. Yeah. Because it says, the courage that had come to her, giving her the power of movement, had not quite deserted her. She began feeling her way around the gallery, and then she finds her way back to the couch. Then she began to pray. Lighten our darkness, O Lord, she said to herself. But she could not remember how the prayer continued, and she had sore need of it. There was something about the perils of the night. All this time she felt about her with groping, fluttering hands. The fire glimmer, which should have been on her left, was on her right again. Therefore she must turn herself round again. Lighten our darkness, she whispered, and then aloud, lighten our darkness. Mm-hmm. And then she comes up against the ghosts. Mm-hmm. And it, they don't look scary. They're just two little toddlers holding hands, walking toward her. And it says... It was but for the space of a moment that she hesitated. Then she sank down onto her knees and stretched out her hands toward them. Oh, my dears, she said, I only fell asleep. I have done no more wrong than that. She paused a moment, and her tender girl's heart thought no more of herself, but only of them. Those little innocent spirits on whom so awful a doom was laid, that they should bring death where other children bring laughter and doom for delight. But all those who had seen them before had dreaded and feared them, or had mocked at them. Then, as the enlightenment of pity dawned on her, her fear fell from her like the wrinkled sheath that holds the sweet folded buds of spring. Dears, I am so sorry for you, she said. It is not your fault that you must bring me what you must bring. But I am not afraid any longer. I am only sorry for you. God bless you, poor darlings." She raised her head and looked at them. Though it was so dark, she could now see their faces, though all was dim and wavering, like the light of pale flame shaken by a draft. But the faces were not miserable or fierce. They smiled at her with shy little baby smiles. Hmm. Yep. And then they faded away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um... You know, from what he wrote earlier, you know, and and I know only from that and not from other things by him, but he could have picked a darker ending, right? He almost always does. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so this yes. is different for him even. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, that, that's what curse... made me think that maybe he was a religious person because the well, whole, and... you know, dear Lord, give us light, you know, was I'd have to beautiful. look it up because that was the thing where mm-hmm. she's, oh, Lord, give me light. And she's thinking of real light. Mm-hmm. But her mind is enlightened in her heart, and yeah. she can see these little ghosts for just little babies wanting love, and wow, that's awesome. offer herself mm-hmm. to their use. Do what do what you have to do. It's okay. Yeah, makes Get me up. wonder if Flannery O'Connor read this. <laughs> it's kind of this, <laughs> you know. She does it in a in a harsher way, oh, but it's yeah. really the same thing. This well, this same same uh, sandbox. <laughs> mm-hmm. So really good. And then the curse is lifted because, you know, the way the story ends, Blanche comes out and she's just been seeing the twins. They only stayed for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's 
so they've turned into just some other members of the household. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now everybody's taking care of them. Too good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and the answer was love and thinking of someone besides yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. What is it that the ghosts want? And in that sense, I'm sorry to be so referential, but that just made me think it's like the sixth sense. Mm. Why do the ghosts come to you? What do they want? Right. They all need something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because the family, I guess, has been always used to having the ability to see these ghosts and not worry about them. But when one finally shows up that they don't understand or, you know, that they've never been able to figure it out because they've never really tried. Hmm. They've just not cared. But these ghosts are something beyond their comprehension. Mm-hmm. So it takes yeah. an outside view. Yeah, it takes someone to think of them, mm-hmm. not of themselves. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've got to name my house something cool. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we get one of these old stories, it's just like, oh, that's a cool name for a house. Well, the British stories, especially. They, yeah. And they all do that. Tom said he lived there uh-huh. during his senior year in high school. His family was there. And. He said, they really do that. They'll say, oh, it's in this town. It's the Larchers. And he's like, what? And he said, well, these roads are too long and scattered to have um, numbers and things. You ask somebody where the Larches is, they'll show you. Hmm. I love that. That is really neat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm used to it from Agatha Christie stories. And, you know, you'll read these things. But I said, so that's for real. And he goes, oh, yeah. And they'll do it in bigger towns, too. Because it's always been that way. Yeah. So everyone knows it. <laughs> I like it. That's a cool yeah. thing. That's a cool but thing. But I did love the idea of, um, yeah, putting that, this story is so funny and then so horrific. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it is, does have a deeper moment. It's, you know, the answer is love. Yeah. And thinking of other people. And I was like, wow. And then it's back to the comic part at the end. Mm-hmm. Everything's restored to normal. Yeah. Yep. Willing the good of another, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. it is atypical, right? Yeah. We oh, would yeah. we would have expected her to turn gray and get all the <laughs> tendrils and stuff. Whatever her horrible dream was. <laughs> yeah. Whatever yes. he could come up with. But yeah, and before that, you know, when she was like groping in the dark, you know, she loses her mind. I'm, well, it says yeah. it says that. I mean, she's so afraid and, and he conveys that really well too. And um then she she confronts the ghosts and that's her reaction. It's wonderful. So yeah, I I love that idea that, you know, um, lighten our darkness actually lightened her inner darkness. Yes. And Mm -hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, she kept trying to feel her way out of the room and inexplicably finding herself back at the fireplace. It's almost as if she wasn't being allowed to leave also. Mm, Yeah. And who knows by what force. Right. But you like to think it was it was a divine chance to kind of fix things. Mm, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Very good. Yep, definitely atypical, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, and I highly recommend his other collection. I just finished, or I mean his whole collection. I just finished rereading it. and um, Oh, fun. Just so good. That's I mean. Cool. Oh my gosh, there's this story in there called Caterpillars, and you wouldn't think Caterpillars could be creepy, but I'm just <laughs> telling you, it's a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I can imagine Caterpillars being creepy, if there's oh, more yeah. than a few. 
Oh, well, okay. You've got the essence of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, gross. <laughs> anyway. Yikes. Yikes. So, well, good. in the, the last story... We're going off to Texas, right? Yeah. More my country. Houston and Galveston. I know. He got to Galveston. And went, oh, I know Galveston. Some, a little. Um, yeah, so... This one is a serious horror story, but it's got a much deeper level. And um, we know that Walter M. Miller was Catholic, wasn't he? Yeah. You, yes, I think he you was. know more about him than I do. Yeah, he, he was Catholic, um, but he fell away in his life, you know, so mm-hmm. he was he was not always writing about Catholicism in a positive way, but he was he was a yeah. Catholic, yeah. Okay. And and maybe that's what I like about this story also. Is it is positive about Catholicism and faith in general, and um, the way it melds with it can meld with science, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's funny because when I picked it, I wasn't thinking of this, but if you ever wanted a story to read while we're going through all this COVID stuff, this is an interesting story to think about. It sure is. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Some things are similar in terms of the way people have reacted and how, mm-hmm. you know, this, of course, takes it much further. But And then, of course, there's some analogies that don't work. But it all comes kind of comes down to you've got to keep your head yeah, and think straight and look at the evidence ahead of you, mm-hmm. not just listen to hysterical um, fears. Yep, agreed. That's right. As normal as that may be to yeah. do. <laughs> right. I'm not saying that's wrong in terms of like if it happens to all of us, but mm-hmm. yeah. So. So yeah. So this is another gray skin story. <laughs> oh gosh, it sure is. So <laughs> much gray skin. Everything's one thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So so this is a, a story. There is a disease floating around, and it um, does cause gray patches of skin. And you end up having, it's almost like a zombie scenario where you've got um, people that don't have it yet (laughs) against the people who have it. But the people who have it are not running around. I mean, they're infecting other people, right? All you need is a touch. Yeah. And then you're infected. Um, But they're not like running around killing the live people. So it's not a zombie in that sense. Right, but people are afraid of the disease because the people who have it have vivid hallucinations mm-hmm. and talk about it. And then, so it seems like you lose your mind. And then if you can't take it, there's a lot of suicide happening from people who've been infected. So this is definitely something that you're afraid of, that you're running away from, and that the people who are left alive are taking every precaution and feel rightfully justified in doing so to protect themselves from these people who've got this horrible disease. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the person we come across is Paul and we're just dropped into the middle of him being on the road, trying to find safe places and food and all this and having to kind of keep people who they called them dermies Mm -hmm. (laughs) far away. Mm -hmm. And um, then he comes to Houston and in Houston, it, they've been organized. They've got uh, different ways they'll, they'll check you. They'll let you into the society very slowly. Then they'll give you a job. For instance, Paul is an 
engineer, isn't he? So he mm-hmm. knows how to fix. I didn't understand how being an engineer allowed you to be a mechanic also. But in this story, <laughs> it does. Of for course sure. it does. Engineers yeah. can do everything. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. Scott, I know that's true. And I respect <laughs> your skills and your training. And uh, if, mad skills is how you say it. Mad skills. My apologies. <laughs> Uh, for not giving you credit. But anyway, so, yeah, it's like, because he's an engineer, he, of course, could fix his, tracks, fix his tractor. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is happening here? But anyway, <laughs> we're just going to let all this yeah, go you bet. In, in service of the story. So mm-hmm. he can do these things, and he's kind of, he's been in one spot and um, fixed this tractor. And uh, so he's got transportation and this is, he's still kind of learning about what's going on. He's not very deep into this society yet. And they discover a young woman who's infected and it doesn't seem like they're going to treat her very nicely at all. I mean, they don't want to touch her. Mm -hmm. So she's safe from any kind of a sexual predation or anything. However, I think they were going to like, wasn't she crossed? laid down in the street naked and they were going to like run over her or yeah, kill her or yeah, something. Yeah, they're getting ready to execute her for sure. Right. Yep. So he takes the tractor. He's like, well, you know, I don't like her, but I don't want that to happen to her. And so he's going to, he runs over a bunch of people, tells her to get up on the tractor because he doesn't want her touching him. And he manages to help her escape and get her some clothes. So at the one hand, he saved her life. But on the other hand, he despises her because she's a dermy. Mm-hmm. And she knows it. And she's kind of a sensitive girl. She's not one of these tough girls. She was just on the run also, mm-hmm. infected by this thing and um, not knowing how she was going to manage. Right. So they're thrown together in this way. Mm-hmm. And they're running away. And they wind up running towards Galveston, where the bridge has been dynamited. And uh, he fig- figures, oh, my gosh, it must be full of people. Or, or is it that he thinks the other way? Now I can't remember. Well, yeah, he's um, – well, she's wounded, right? You know, so well, he's, Oh, he, that's right. I forgot. You know, she's got like a gunshot wound on her side. So he is looking for people because he doesn't he, – he can't deal with this. So he's trying to figure out how to get her help without touching her or anything. You know, so he, he's, he's trying to not get the disease, but he couldn't stand to see her executed. So that's what he's trying to do is find people. He's a funny mixture of hating this disease and despising the people who have it, but at yeah. the same time, saving her. Yeah. Because it, it is a human thing to do. It absolutely is. And, and that's really just fascinating, you know, because he's, you know, he is trying to stay away from the disease, but when he sees them wanting to kill this human being... He can't not react to it. He he's like, this is just not right. Disease right. or no, right. this is not correct, and he has to act. Yeah, driving Very her away is idea. one thing, yeah. but, right? Exactly. And so, of course, they because it is a novella, we don't have a lot of time. They're immediately we can tell they're kind of attracted to each other, but we're not gonna know. <laughs> yeah, and they're not even admitting it to themselves. So, um, yeah. So that's it. He's trying to find people. And they find a boat, and they are able to get to the island. Yeah, right. And on the island are monks and nuns. <laughs> it's become a religious, <laughs> yeah. um, almost like a fortress, like medieval times. Yeah, really cool. That's a nice yeah. Yeah, way to look at that. That's yeah. neat. Love it. And they dynamited the bridge because they, they've got the disease there. 
And what they're doing is making sure that they don't impose anything on anyone that, that they don't want imposed on them. So though the urge is incredible when you smell somebody, evidently, as we discover, who doesn't mm. have the disease to touch them. And I guess it's a very sensual feeling the way one person talks about it. Yeah, that's an interesting um, piece of it, too. Yeah, it's, yeah. So this is the disease's desire to spread itself. Um, but they are like, that would be akin. I, they seem to think of it as that would be akin to raping somebody. Mm. You'd be attacking them in a way that's not fair. So we're going to make sure we're not tempted. We're not going to let any uninfected people here. We're going to keep to ourselves and take care of the people who are here. And there's a scientist, a very famous scientist there who's not religious at all. But he's connected with the island now, mm-hmm. and he's doing his research. So they're allowing him also to do his research, so that maybe they can um, deal with this better. Yeah, really something. I mean, it's full of potential metaphors, right? It's oh yeah, you know, just the the idea of like a religious person. If you just think about the monks and nuns wanting wanting to feeling overwhelmingly like they need to talk or, you know, it's almost like spreading the religion or sharing the gospel. It's like, oh, interesting. you know, just that urge to do so. Um, yet the person needs to be uh, someone who wants to receive it, right? You right. don't want to impose it, but you right. want to be there and give it if they want it. Oh, I didn't um, think about it but like it, that. You know, that's, that's a matter. I don't know how far that stretches in the story mm-hmm. if that's what he means. Because in a way... The other metaphor, like you were saying, is this whole idea of change. It's like this change has come upon the world, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of resistance to it, and a lot of fear about it, and and you don't know. Yeah. They don't even know what it is. But then um, the scientist is saying that this neuroderm, which is their name for the disease, is extraterrestrial. It's right, so come let's from stop. elsewhere, right? Yeah, so let's uh, say that if you haven't read the story, you've heard enough, hopefully, to get you hooked. Yeah, it, it's harder to find, mm-hmm. <laughs> as uh, Joseph from Zombie Parents Guide was saying. A good story really is hard to find, and I found <laughs> it at the library in a collection mm-hmm. of the best of Walter M. Miller. Yeah, and I've got um, Dark Benediction by Walter M. Miller. It's a short story collection, okay. um, and it's got um, well. I don't think it has the original. It doesn't. But the Darf Stellar is another one of his famous ones. Oh, um, is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, but he's he, there, there are a lot of good stories. But it's, this is a, one of those SF masterworks. And I think it's probably the same. It probably is the best of Walter M. Miller, but packaged as a SF masterwork. And it's titled Dark Benediction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is just called The Best of Walter M. Miller Jr. Pocket Science Fiction. So, okay, cool. You know, so it's out there. You just have to find a place. And it's well worth having. I was thinking I might actually, I'll look around at different places I can get it because it's worth having and rereading. And it's funny because this is my daughter Hannah's recommendation to me. She read it for some reason and said, you would love this, Mom. Mm, And it's so Mm -hmm. imbued with Catholicism and with the good things about it. You know, this is Walter M. Miller, whatever his personal feelings He's recognizing the heritage of what mm-hmm. the Catholics have done for the world in times of chaos. Yeah. And also wow. their embrace yeah. of science and truth. Mm-hmm. 
that they don't reject it. I love it. that. <laughs> well, you, just, you just reminded me of the idea, you know, remember how the Irish saved civilization. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that, that, that um, you know, monks and nuns helped us through the Dark Ages, you know, by, right. by copying and uh, keeping the knowledge, right? Yeah. And yeah. so here the knowledge. So anyway, spoilers, uh, now we're going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this because the scientist is pointing out not only – the extraterrestrial uh, origin and all they've been able to find out, which is fascinating in itself, speaking of change and encounter with beings that are different, Mm -hmm. but um, also the idea that it's not that you want to get the disease, but what this disease does is give you a different way of seeing and experiencing everything because it stimulates this nerve growth and connection in different ways that like you could um, I'm trying to think he had examples at one point of um, he's, he's telling all this to Paul and his name is Dr. Sievers and he's a very cynical, straightforward guy. So he has no use for religion and all this. He's just interested in what's happening. The real facts that nobody can hear because everybody's run away from the newspapers <laughs> and the news and nothing. Society isn't working right now. He says later when everybody gets back together on it, we can tell them this and understand it because they were still studying it when things fell apart. But he says, I saw a baby born yesterday to a woman down the Island. It was fully covered with neuroderm at birth, which frankly would be horrible as mm. a woman thinking about having your baby like that. It's like, it would be so awful. It was fully covered with uh, neuro. Oh, sorry. It has some new sensory equipment, small pores in the fingertips with taste buds and olfactory cells in them. Also a nodule above each eye sensitive to infrared. Paul Hmm. groaned. It's not the first case. Those things are happening to the adults too, but you have to have the condition for quite a while. Brother Thomas has the finger pores already. Hasn't learned to, to use them yet, of course. He gets sensations from them but the receptors aren't connected to olfactory and taste centers of the brain. They're still linked linked with the somesthetic <laughs> interpretive centers. He can touch various substances and get different perceptive combinations of heat, pain, cold, pressure, and so forth. He says vinegar feels ice cold, quinine, sharp, hot, cologne, warm velvet, prickly, and he blushes when he touches a musky perfume. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is changing what it means to be a human being. But it's not changing what it means to be a human being. I mean, everything is changed about... I mean, it's like taking an artificial evolutionary jump forward mm. because the alien race was very different from us. They would have investigated what was sent very carefully bit by bit instead of... Like, was whoever it was, like a blacksmith or somebody, finds the first one, hits it open, and says, huh, what's inside is kind of fishy. And he gives it to it, smells fishy, and so he gives it to his cat. <laughs> you know, just... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's just like, what is wrong with you? Oh, but man. it's yeah. just an average person, you know? Right, right. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. And, and the... The idea that the scientist is saying or trying to convey to Paul is that um, this is not them invading, right? It's them giving us a gift almost is what he's saying. That was their intention because their son was going to go Nova. Mm -hmm. So what they could do is say this has meant everything to us. This has brought us to where we are. Yeah. 
we're going to give it as a gift, but we're going to warn you. We know it could be dangerous. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think one of the, the priests says it, the main, the main monk that they talk to, he says, things become evil only through hum- human misuse. Mm. And it might have been the scientist. Yeah. But I think it's the priest because he says, you know, morphine used properly, it's a good painkiller. Right. But you can yeah. become addicted. And of course, Paul instantly, like any good uh, scoffer, says, and leprosy? So, mm-hmm. what did we do to get the bacteria to attack us? He goes, okay, well, that's fair. Everything, mm-hmm. it doesn't apply to everything, but we're not using leprosy, is my answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a tool. Yeah. You can kill someone with a hammer or build a house. Right, right. That's amazing. Yep. And very, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the utility of everything, you know. Addictions yeah. everywhere on all kinds of things, internet, social media, yeah, all that stuff. It, you know, the internet itself is a great example of that exact thing. You know, use it right, and it's uh, a fantastic, amazing thing. Um, but it's dangerous. Yeah, it's it's, and it comes back to those things that we've talked about before, right? So it's intention. Yep. And. Self-discipline, mastery of yourself. And, mm-hmm. of course, none of us have complete mastery. This is where God's grace comes in to help us. Mm-hmm. But we have to try to achieve that. We have to say, only check, I'm going to, like I'll say, I'm going to try to only look at these sites that I love to just sit and waste time on twice a day mm-hmm. and for this time period. I don't always do it, but the yeah. intention's there and I always come back to it. Right, right. Yeah, and for me, it's always uh, an imbalance that, you know, occurs. It, it seems to just keep happening, and then there's always the correction. But recognizing it and correcting is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. But when you realize that, oh, man, I am really spending a lot of time doing things that are not very good for me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, I need to stop doing that, and uh, let's pull this back, you know. Right. And that's why, you know, in fact, all these things we're talking about like this are really, <laughs> this dark benediction name is what the scientist applies because he says they think they're sending a gift out, but they know it has a dark side. Yeah. So you have to be careful. And of course, they didn't, what they couldn't envision is a race like us, which doesn't react the way they do. Mm. They're naturally a very deliberate, careful, cautious race that thinks this way. Yeah. We're not. And he makes them very unflattering. You know, we're monkeys. We're jumping up and down and hitting things mm-hmm. and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's the essence of the thing. You know, right, some right. animals are very slow and deliberate and some are crazy. <laughs> so sure. um, he's going to be very basic about all of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, the other piece of that is the fear of that change and what right. it does to people. Um, that's... That's kind of, a, it's a story for today in that way, you know, mm-hmm. th- this exact moment in our history where there's a lot of fear around and there's a lot of thrashing around and there's a lot of anger around mm-hmm. um, people oh, reacting. Boy. Yeah. And there's anger, so much anger in Paul. Right. There definitely is. And I get it. And you so know? much anger in the people that were going to kill the girl in the first place, you know. Right. Yeah. And fear. Mm-hmm. And how that strips your humanity away, Right. It's right. like, you know, have you forgotten that this is a person? What yeah. what happens? You know, it's like it short circuits something in our heads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and in the case of the story, there is the lack of 
understanding the truth. Because mm-hmm. everybody sees the hallucinations, the suicides, all this stuff. And, for instance, and the girl is haunted by the idea that she might infect Paul. And she loves Paul, clearly. She's very yeah. attached to him. Mm-hmm. And she'll have dreams about touching him and everything. So, because she's very attached, you know, drawn yeah. to him. Right. But she doesn't want to be that person. She heard the way he talked. And the scientist says, well, you know, he says, because Paul says to the scientist, yeah, but look what it does to people. And he goes, I don't know. If, you're, if you can see and no one else can see, they're going to think you're crazy. Or I can't remember the example he used, but it made me think of a story by H.G. Wells mm-hmm. about a man who's got sight, who stumbles into, you know, this <laughs> through over this high mountain into this valley that no one's ever found. Well, everybody there is blind. And he keeps talking about all this stuff and going, I can't believe you can't see this. And they're just like, man, we really like you. And there's no way to get out. Mm-hmm. The mountain pass is closed or whatever's happened. He's stuck there. They'd have to help him. And they finally say, you know, you've got something really wrong with you and we're going to fix it for you. So you can be normal. So they're going to blind him. That's the end of the story when they're saying this. And he's like, no. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the essence of this story. Yes. There's so mm-hmm. much more that the the hypers, as they call themselves, can sense that when you're talking about it and you don't understand what's happening to you, it's probably like being on an acid dream. <laughs> wow, I'm thinking about the religion metaphor again because yeah. it's like I know that a lot of atheists look at us like, what oh, the yeah. heck are you? <laughs> you know, but but it's really true. It's hard to explain to an atheist right. what faith is and what we feel. You know what I mean? The personal encounter with God that you can have. right. Yeah. And the ways that you discern God's nudges in Mm -hmm. your life. Yes. And I was talking to somebody just yesterday who I was saying, well, I have this feeling like this, and it's a very strong feeling, and it's not compelling me to do anything one way or the other. I'm just like kind of, but here's where I am. Mm. And because I just feel so absolutely at peace this way and this person is very commonsensical but very catholic and she just said well that's a form of discernment isn't it Mm. and i said yeah i think it is Mm -hmm. and it's not that god's making me feel a way i'm just allowed to fully sense the truth Mm -hmm. about me and this thing you know it's like okay and that probably sounds very vague to anybody who doesn't know the kind <laughs> of thing I'm thing. talking you know, about. I, I understand what you're talking right. about, but I think that uh, you know someone who is an atheist may not. Yeah, and go. Yeah, you just want to do this, and this is right. your excuse. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. I used to feel that way about people who'd say things like that. So that's a what a great insight, Scott. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> you're too kind. No, but yeah, no. These, these stories are great. Well, and and, um, yeah. and at the end, you know, when he picks her up, you know, and... Oh, I know. That was a beautiful it moment. It was a beautiful moment, yeah. He says, okay, well, let's let's move forward, you know. So, he's exposes himself to the disease, picks her up, and moves forward. Yeah, because they've been getting a yacht ready for him. They've been disinfecting it and everything. Mm-hmm. And he can have that yacht and go look for an island where there's nobody who's infected, and he can wait it out. Yeah, yeah. And, which is very generous of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um... Then he says, I'm going to want that yacht. And the priest says, uh, 
the priest looks really puzzled because Paul says, well, I want the yacht. And he said, because he's picked her up and he says, let's forget it, right? Mm-hmm. No, I want it. And the, the scientist says, preacher, don't you know any reason for traveling besides running away? And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I love the way he said it. It says, he lifted her, being cautious of the now sodden cast. He climbed the steps and started back to the hospital. Willie, day, that's the girl, mm-hmm. dazed and weary and still uncomprehending, fell asleep in his arms. Because she had, had, she had been sleepwalking and touched him, so she was going to kill herself. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't make herself kill herself, so he manages to find her first. Yeah. Her hair blew about his face in the wind. It smelled warm and alive. He wondered what sensation it would produce to the finger pore receptors. Wait and see, he said to himself. And I loved that mental shift. Mm-hmm. What's the good that's going to come to me? What exciting new thing am I going to experience? Yes. Instead of just being terrified by the change. Because... At one point, the scientist says to him, well, everyone's bound to catch it. And until everyone catches it, we can't go back to normal, which made me think of the COVID thing. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yep, I I, I thought the same thing when I read that. I was like, wow, I've heard that (laughs) sentence this week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the new word that you're hearing all the time now is endemic. Hmm. When COVID is endemic, and so what they've stopped saying is we can stop COVID, which I never thought they could no, do. I, don't, I thought yeah. it'll be like the flu or a cold. And they said when it becomes endemic, when everyone's had it, and then we'll just see how it shifts and we'll adjust with that, like the flu or a right, cold. Right. And um, but that was a new idea to Paul. Paul's like, no, no. But he'd never thought past the how do I survive part. Mm-hmm. So, um, then he, he's like, oh my gosh, that actually makes sense. Yeah. And that is, that is a beautiful thing too. I mean, that, that happens in our lives all the time. Yeah. You know, resistance, resistance, and then acceptance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then hopefully you can shift and stop fighting and then move forward. Yeah. yeah kind of move back to normal thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 it's really deep, really, when you think about it. It's, you know, yeah. I mean, suffering, you think about suffering, you think about Mm -hmm. um, just religion. It's, it's something else. Um, Well, in the Catholic faith, when you brought up suffering, which is what's going on all through this book, everybody's trying to avoid this suffering any way they can. And when they're stuck in the suffering, what had they kill themselves or, you know, like the scientist says, because you're having hallucinations, everybody's afraid of you and running from you. You're left all alone. You can't take it. You don't have the resources for it. So, of course, people will kill themselves or some people will. Yeah. And so, when you look at this in terms of thinking of suffering, the Catholic Church has the answer for that. You cannot avoid suffering. Everyone's going to suffer. That's part of life and we all know it. You cannot make a perfect life. But what you can do is to have a way to understand the suffering. Mm-hmm. Let God help you through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Offer it for others as a good. If you, I mean, you know, your own suffering, not to others' suffering. Right, yeah. But yeah. offer it to unite it with Christ's suffering on the cross and say, use this for somebody's good. Mm-hmm. I offer this the mm-hmm. way you offered your life on the cross. And that is, the I mean, that is to me one of the most precious things that Catholicism offers, that real truth about there is a deeper thing that can happen with this thing you can't avoid. Yes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't 
until you said suffering. I hadn't really even connected this. But this whole book could be an analogy for that. Yes, it could. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a really deep story. And then we haven't even talked about the fact, and maybe can't cover it deeply enough, that the fascinating alien world that's created just in telling the story of the disease is that the world that the aliens were on was dominated by parasites. (laughs) There were also mammals but it was the parasites that were fighting to see who would become dominant and the one that works the best with an animal that can it can make it intelligent so it can beat the other life forms and kind of be the, the superior life form is the one where the parasite goes, well, now I don't have to struggle and struggle and struggle anymore. I can just be, exist, coexist. Because it's mm-hmm. not really thinking, of course. He's talking about it as if it is, but it's evolution. Yeah. And that animal has then become intelligent and it says, wow, what happened to me because I was to to us because of this parasite is astounding and amazing. Mm. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that is it. Is a a world created there, right? Yeah, through mm-hmm. through a story in the story, <laughs> and also yeah. the story of you know parasites. We look at it as bad things in this one, and of course, causing suffering, causing whatever, because the parasite's out for itself. A disease is out for itself. Nature doesn't care about us. Nature is indifferent. Um, still crying the glory of God in a different way, but a forest fire doesn't care who you are. So how do we deal with that? Mm. And sometimes those things, those shifts, cause a great good for us. We can take advantage of. Yeah, that's that's beautiful right there. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Reading is fun. <laughs> And talking about reading is even better because then all these things come up that other people thought of. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, what a a trio of stories these are. This is cool. (laughs) Well, this is the real one I wanted to talk about, but of course Mm -hmm. I couldn't resist jamming the other ones in there. (laughs) I love it. Nice nice October reads. Good. Um, So fun. Yeah, this story reminded me um, a little bit of um, the Screwfly Solution. Have you ever read that by James Tiptree Jr.? No, I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, but but it's also a parasite from elsewhere, but their intent is to eradicate humanity. So it is. It is an. It's a prelude to invasion, and basically, they. um, It's a. It's a parasite that makes males violent. Oh. Yeah, so it's like... I thought it made them infertile, but okay. No, no, it it actually makes them start killing. <laughs> oh, great. Yes, so, yeah, the parasites yeah. from extraterrestrials. Those bastards. <laughs> that's right. I'm just going to say it. Uh, it's true. That's true, that's fine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I yeah, and this one is, is more interesting to me because... The consequences are so unintentional. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something that no one could imagine. And how many times does that happen? We're surprised by things all the time. And I remember, I can't remember the exact quote, but C.S. Lewis was like, we go around expecting like everyday life should just be calm and predictable. And he goes, that's not normal. Hmm. The normal is being surprised by stuff that we can't predict. The normal is having things go wrong or surprisingly nice things happen or, mm. you know, it's just life is up and down and back and forth. And for us to expect a schedule is wrong. I still do. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, I do too. I, yeah. That's what I like. Trying to impose the order. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, very good. But you're you're absolutely right. And so was C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... <laughs> I'm so glad you liked the stories, yeah, though. Yeah, very much. I, I, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm well into my October reading. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, because I... That's why I went, oh, I'm going to reread all of E.F. Benson's stories. And mm-hmm. I read a few of M.R. James' stories. To me, M.R. James is the best ghostwriter or story, uh, scary storyteller, ghost stories. And then E.F. Benson, I think, is right behind him. Yeah. That's great. So I read a brand new horror novel um, called My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham title. Jones. Okay. And uh, it is pretty darn good. It, the The main character is a teenage girl who sees the world through the lens of having watched every slasher film that there Ooh. is, like, you know, Halloween and mm-hmm. Friday the 13th and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, things start to occur in her small town. And, um, you know, she's got, the character is pretty cool. Um, I mean, but she's got, uh, by, by pretty cool, I mean that there's depth to her. She's, she's got lots of troubles. Um, so it's, it's well drawn that way. Um, but yeah, but things start to happen and it's all through her point of view and, um, she's using what she's learned in, from these movies to try to get through this situation and life in general Okay. because of the things that have occurred to her. But yeah, um, I thought it was quite good. I've heard the title. Mm -hmm. I just. You know, it didn't draw me in. Yeah, it's it's brand new. <laughs> yeah, the the one, okay. the only good Indians is terrific. Um, that's the one he wrote before this. Okay. Um, that is a very good book. It's okay. it's atypical. Very good. Okay. Yeah, horror novel. Right. It's not very long either. Well, and we this weekend started our Halloween movies uh, build up because Ooh. my mom loves scary movies and I love it. Yeah, she had never seen Alien. Ah, that's so a good one. So we watched it, and she loves the movie Halloween. That's uh-huh. It was through her I even watched it in the first place. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And um, she kind of was like, oh, it's so ugly and mm-hmm. very basic story. And Rose said, well, yeah, but it's like Halloween. Mm-hmm. And she suddenly went, oh. And it was kind of able to refocus so she could actually think about the story in a little different way and not worry about the fact that it's so industrial. And so we were able to say, you know, think about these people. They don't, you know, and she goes, well, the company doesn't care about them at all. And I was like, that's right. <laughs> so um, she wound up, I don't think she wound up loving it, but she could appreciate it more. So it was kind of yeah. fun to talk about that movie in a little more depth. That's cool. Because I can't wait to make her watch Aliens. <laughs> Aliens, the second one. Woo-hoo! I love it. Yeah, the Mother's Not- Day film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just I'll just throw this in there because everybody, I guess, knows this, but Rose was pointing out that in the first movie, what started getting pointed out was it's it's basically like the the alien is is raping people. Hmm. So it's like you know, kind of the way the new baby looks the the invasion of the person against their will, all this stuff. And they said, so she thought it was a nice job of James Cameron to kind of take that kind of imagery and then mirror it with looking at mothers. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I just thought I I had to get that in there. So love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So everybody go watch those two movies. Definitely. All right. 
All right. Well, good. So what is next for us? Let's oh, see. Oh, golly. Speaking <sighs> of movies. Fan. Is it fan, fawn? How do you pronounce it as an Indian movie? Fan. Fan, fan. okay. Because it's about a fan. Ah, okay. Who is a stalker of a famous movie star. Oh, oh wait. Is Shahrukh Khan no. playing his own stalker? Uh. <laughs> and himself. I love it. You can't get better. And this is another one that it shows his real acting skill. Oh, cool. Yeah. And oh, when you wa- after you watch it, be sure and watch the extra where they talk about um, the what they did to mm. help make him look different. Okay. Just different enough, but I still like him. I mean, but it's it's really it's so it's a stalkery Halloween movie. Love it. But it's mm. also talking about celebrity and fame and what do you owe to your fans? Uh, just as just and it's he is just great in it. So Very he's good. the actor that was in Rob Nabana de Jody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so Anyway, very good. Very I'm excited. Form. All right. Oh, oh, I'm very excited for you to watch it. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. good. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. And happy go October. Re- yes, happy October. Go read those stories and try not to get too scared. Yes. In Cottage. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you soon. Bye bye, everybody. Thank you.